Hello and welcome to Matanzers, a baseball podcast. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Ryan Medeiros, as per usual, where we are bringing you all the baseball news and opinions you need to know from coast to coast. Ryan, that's why we're special. That's why we do this. We're bringing opinions coast to coast. I cannot wait. We are so close to opening day. Today, it's March 20th, opening day, of course, on April 1st. Every single time I wake up, I'm happier than I was the day before because we are just that much closer. I cannot wait. Uh, how, how are you dealing with all the jitters? the butterflies and the excitement as we get down to the stretch run. Well, Max, I burned off some of my energy today hitting some home runs off of you in wiffle ball here (laughs) at Ithaca College where we are taking classes. You know, it's always nice to get out on a Saturday. It was a beautiful day today, 55 degrees. That's pretty warm for what we've been experiencing for weather. So it was nice to get outside. I was watching the Red Sox spring training, getting that baseball feel. It's just a great day. It was a great day to get out and experience some baseball of our own and to watch some baseball as well. Yeah, when you're used to 17, 18 degrees every day, 55 feels like 80. It felt like we were down in Florida or Arizona on our own uh, this afternoon, and the ball was flying today as well. Plenty of home runs to share. I I think I did show you my nasty submarine, though. You know, you challenged me. You said Darren O'Day, and I had to bring it out. You got to admit, it was pretty good, right? Oh, it was pretty good, Max. For the first time ever seeing it, I did foul a couple pitches off. I put together a good at bat. I was using the yellow bat, which I know you're afraid of in wiffle ball. So, you know, you got to give me a little credit. You got to be proud, though. I used the yellow bat for about six or seven at bats today. I hit three home runs. It's a miracle. Yeah, I do have to give you credit. You know, you faced your demons there and you hit a couple out with the yellow bat. So I'm expecting you to use that one moving forward now. Uh, We'll see about that. Well, let's move forward (laughs) into the show here. Let's get it started off with some news. If you're a New York Mets fan, there's been some tough news out of Port St. Lucie, Florida, as a right-handed starter, Carlos Carrasco, has torn his right hamstring. He'll be out about four to eight weeks. And this is a really big blow to a New York Mets team that was incredibly excited to bring Carrasco into the rotation, uh, really completed that rotation given the fact that Noah Syndergaard is still recovering from Tommy John's surgery. So this opens a spot for the fifth man in the rotation, assuming that David Peterson will be the fourth starter now. There's a couple of options. They got Yamamoto, Lucchese, uh, Mike Montgomery, and so forth. Uh, Yamamoto and Lucchese have both been very solid this spring, so you got to imagine one of those guys will take it. But what are your thoughts on this? How big of a blow is this for the Mets? Oh, it's a huge blow. One of the best bona fide number two starters in the league. On potentially a lot of other teams, Carrasco would be your ace pitcher based on the numbers he's put up over his career. But this is where the depth moves that the Mets have made come in massively. Yamamoto, I think a lot of people forget, in 2019 was excellent for Miami. Obviously, he struggled mightily in 2020 with an ERA over 18 in 11 innings or so. But he had 78 innings pitched in 2019, 82 strikeouts, so good swing and miss stuff. A 4-4-6 ERA in his first, uh, that was his rookie year there for Miami. But this is a guy who has major league experience. And Lucchese as well has even more experience with the Padres. I think, you know, as a number five starter to fill in, is not a bad option to fill in. So these were good moves by the Mets to build that depth. And as a team that's had some injury issues in the past, that depth is going to be crucial. No doubt, and that's something that Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson and that rest of that baseball operations crew was prioritizing. You know, the big moves highlight themselves, obviously. James McCann and so forth. Uh, obviously, this offseason, Francisco Lindor, just to name a couple here. But those moves, like Yamamoto, like Lucchese, are obviously paying major dividends now. And we're, we haven't been the opening day yet. Looking at Lucchese's numbers also has been very productive in 19 and 18. Struggled last year, just five and two-thirds of an innings pitched with a 7-9-4 year rate. But before that, made 30 starts in 19 with 
with a 4.18 ERA, 26 starts in 2018 with a 4.08. So that could be very formidable for the back of the rotation. I would also explore potentially him being in the pen as well as they have one lefty in Aaron Loop. So he could be a good piece out there. I think his stuff would play well in the pen. But either way, you got two pretty solid options. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as we get down to the stretch run. Both have had very good spring trainings as well. Another difficult injury news line coming out of the National League East was Will Harris reliever for the Washington Nationals has a blood clot in his right arm so that'll be a difficult loss for a Nationals bullpen that was really going to rely on him this year and a season where they're really looking to compete because you know the big three were Brad Hand, Daniel Hudson, Will Harris. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well the alarm bells certainly are going <laughs> off in the National. My laundry's bullpen, done. My but... laundry's done okay. <laughs> I'll give you a little credit there all right no worries about that but it was kind of good timing. Uh, no reason really to be alarmed honestly for the Nationals. I know they've had some shakiness out of the back end of their bullpen but the major arm that they acquired is Brad Hand so he'll be the closer you know Harris was going to step down to more of a lesser setup role He's been a very good pitcher in the past. I mean, don't look past the 2019 season. 1-5 ERA and 68 appearances with Houston. So very productive reliever. Obviously, he was the guy who signed that three-year contract with the Nationals prior to the 2020 season. Trivia answer for you in our trivia show. Uh, <laughs> a little throwback there. So that's kind of a coincidence there. But, you know, like I said, hand in that acquisition Hudson will be a good setup. Rainey as well takes a little bit of pressure off the back end of the bullpen with the absence of Harris. So obviously it would be ideal for have, to have him to come back as soon as possible just to have a lot of firearms in the back of their bullpen. But it's not as huge of a deal with the acquisition of hand. Definitely, for sure. All right, let's move to our predictions now. We're going to do two a week now as we approach opening day, as mentioned earlier, just about a week and a half away here. Let's start in the American League. The American League Central have a lot of very interesting teams. The White Sox, of course, continued their pursuit for an AL Central crown. Really were fantastic last year. And you got the Twins and Indians looking to compete as well. Ryan, share with me, what is your division standings prediction for the American League Central? Well, rounding out, I'll start at the bottom here. I think it has to be the Tigers in last place. I think they have some promising young prospects coming up, so I'll put them there. They're still not quite there yet. Royals in fourth place. I think they've got some interesting moves that they made this offseason that we'll get into in a little bit. The Indians with the losses of Lindor and Carrasco, are, those are huge losses. I still think they'll be a playoff contender potentially, but they're in third place for me just because the two juggernauts at the top of the division have separated themselves at this point. I have the Twins in second place getting upset by the White Sox in first place, and we'll talk about those in a second. But first, let's hear your standings predictions. Well, I wish they were different, but they are the exact same here. I, for some reason, I had a knack that you were going to go for the Twins in first place, but I also chose the White Sox here. I think they filled a lot of their holes this offseason. I think they're uh, one of the deepest teams in baseball here and definitely have a legitimate shot of winning an American League pennant for the first time since, what, 05? I believe that was when they faced the Astros. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, there's obviously some question marks when you look at Adam Eaton. And Luis Robert, I'd expect Luis Robert to take some steps forward this year. But the offense is just so deep, and you have such a solid bullpen. I think really some underlooked guys, even, you know, you could talk about Liam Hendricks and so forth, but even guys like Evan Marshall having a fantastic year last year as well. Um, Garrett Crochet, you know, obviously will have his first full big league season. Bummer. Hewer, so forth. Hewer was very quietly good last year as well. And then you look at the deep rotation, too, in which they added Lance Lynn this offseason. They'll be getting Kopech back as well. It's only getting better for the White Sox, and that's why I do have them number one. 
Yeah, let's go right through the different segments of these teams. We'll start off in the rotation where I think it's actually more interesting than a lot of people think. I think the White Sox are very top-heavy, actually, in the rotation. They have Giolito, Keuchel, and Lynn, which is probably the best top three in a rotation in the league, arguably. Then after that, they're a little shaky. Dylan Cease was a highly talented prospect. He wasn't as good as you know, his main numbers. The underlying numbers weren't fantastic for him. His expected ERA is much higher than his regular ERA. So I think maybe he actually takes a step back this year, but he does have good potential. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's going to take a step forward rather than a step back. And then the fifth spot is very shaky. Two guys that have been also highly touted, but have underperformed in their big league careers. Rodon because of injuries and Lopez because of just inconsistency. So maybe if one of those guys step up, that could be huge for the White Sox, but I still think they're back in their rotation is shaky. You look over in Minnesota here, you have Kenta Maeda, who's a bona fide ace after last year. I think mm-hmm. he's really, you Definitely. know, in a starting, solidified starting rotation spot. He was a swingman in Los Angeles, which I don't think really helped his performance. I think now that he's locked in the rotation in a bigger ballpark in Minnesota, that's going to help him out a lot. Jose Barrios is one of those guys who really hasn't taken a huge step forward, but he's been a very good pitcher. Pineda has also been pretty solid, very good numbers last year. Hap, I think, will do very well. And then the fifth spot, again, for Minnesota, I think, is shaky as well. Dobnak has been one of those guys that's been a fan favorite because of the Handelmar <laughs> mustache, the way he has, you know, goes about his business on the mound. I think he's an exciting guy to watch, but I'm not sure he's the top number five guy that the Twins might want to you know, usurp the White Sox as the best rotation. So I still think the White Sox have the edge in the rotation. And I think the bullpen is where the White Sox really separate themselves. No, definitely. And I, I do think the White Sox have a better rotation. But I'll give Dobnak some credit. I'm not sure about the the uh, stack cast numbers, but he's had a good spring so far. 13 strikeouts and 8 and 2 thirds have not given up a run. And look, put up a 405 ERA. was 10 starts, so I will look at that. But if he could put that up as a 5-man in that rotation or something in between a 405 and a 405, I think that will be more than enough production from him. However, with the White Sox, like you said, I think their top three is dominant. Uh, you know, the fact that you have Lance Lynn, who was a potential Cy Young candidate last year, is your number three, says a lot right there. The Indians, I think, are still a pretty decent team, especially because in the Lindor trade, they got two pieces uh, in Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, uh, who could compete now. You add in Cesar Hernandez as well. You know, I remember we talked about there could have been a potential trade with Rosario. I know the Reds were interested and so forth, but it looks like they will keep him. So maybe potentially Jimenez might start in the minor leagues. I don't know though, especially with a month and a half or with the minor league season being delayed by a month and a half. So I think they're a pretty solid team, but a team I do want to talk about, unless you had some thoughts on the Indians here. Yeah, I just wanted to delve into the Indians rotation a little bit. And when you put them up, if we're just looking at rotations here, uh, the Indians' rotation stacks up with just about any in the league, in my opinion. You have Bieber, who's the Cy Young, one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in baseball. Savali's been really consistent. Plesak had some really good Definitely. showings last year. McKenzie, I think, really broke out in a big way. And Logan Allen, that fifth spot, again, you know, all these rotations have gone through. The fifth spot is always a little bit shaky, but I think Logan Allen or potentially uh, Cal Quantrill could step yes. up in that spot too. One of those guys, I think, will play a big role. But the lineup's... Uh, just don't the lineup for the Indians just doesn't stack up compared to the White Sox and the Twins. We we weren't going to go through the whole lineup obviously, but uh, these guys. I mean, losing Lindor, their lineup wasn't fantastic to begin with. Their outfield has always been weak. I think Rosario will help the outfield offensively, 
but I just don't think the Indians lineup stacks up nearly as close to the White Sox and the Twins. No doubt, and by no means am I saying that they're going to push for a wild card spot with the Twins or a division spot with the White Sox, as that's what my predictions are. But I do think that they'll be a fun team to watch and a solid team who does. You know, I think that, I think they're capable of hovering around 80 wins potentially. It is a difficult division when you're playing the Twins and White Sox 19 times a year, but I still think they'll be able to put up um, some pretty decent win total numbers, more than a lot of people expect, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, Joe, just to add on to that, it sounded like I was kind of talking down on the Indians there, but speaking on the rotation, I actually think they have the ability to win up to 85 plus games. I think the White Sox and Twins will both win 90 plus, but I think the Indians will be right in the road for a potential wild card spot. So while I talked down the lineup, that was more to kind of show my separation of them in yes. third place from the top two spots. But like you said, I think they're a bona fide playoff contender, even with the loss of Lindor and Carrasco. Definitely. Now, a team I want to talk about, and I by no means think this team's going to make the playoffs. You know, I was asked who my sleeper picks are going into 2021, and they're not really a sleeper because I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but they're a sleeper in the way that people look down on them thinking they're on the same level as an Orioles team, a Pirates team, or a Tigers team. But the Royals made some very solid moves this offseason, have some decent pieces in their bullpen, obviously, bringing over Carlos Santana and, as you know, Andrew Benatendi. You cope that with Whit Merrifield and then potentially what you could get out of Aldoberto Mondesi. You have a pretty good core four right there offensively, not even mentioning Carlo, or Salvador Perez, who was very solid last year. I do think he'll take a little bit of a step backwards. I think the 60-game season... Uh, kind of or kind of romanticizes his numbers a little bit for a lack of a better term but then you look even at their rotation too when you have minor coming in Brad Keller was very solid last year I think that they're taking a step forward and I really appreciate that from a team that really didn't need to they're in the middle of their rebuild they didn't need to go out and spend money this offseason but they're trying to put an entertaining team on the field and I, I appreciate that a lot yeah, and the Whites, and uh, excuse me, the Royals are the team that you look across their depth chart, and you're kind of like, okay, this is pretty solid. You look at the rotation, all right, kind of solid. You have Keller, Duffy, Singer, who could take a step forward. Mike Miner is an interesting arm. Bu- Bubich is in the minors, but I think he could be an interesting guy. They have a lot of promising arms coming up. You look at their bullpen. You have Stallmount, Fantastic. Barlow, Holland, Hahn, who pitched very well last year. A lot of, again, solid. You look at their catcher spot, Perez solid, Santana solid, Lopez solid defensively last year, Dozier solid, yeah. Mondesi solid. You know, you know, you get the you get the point here. If you build a really solid team in all aspects, you can be competitive ball club, which I think is the case with the Royals and why they're an interesting sleeper club. Another guy that you didn't mention that I want to point out is Jorge Soler, yes. who locks down the designated hitter spot. Very, very good power numbers la- uh, or in 19, 2019. Yeah. I mean, just a 40 home run guy, fantastic numbers. And that guy in the number four spot in your lineup with a lot of solid guys around him, I think makes a very, very solid ball club. So that's kind of the theme with the Royals, if you didn't catch on, that they're a very solid team. Definitely. I mean, Soler led the American League in home runs in 2019. I don't think anyone knew that. And that just shows you his capabilities right there. Did struggle a little bit last year, the OPS down to 769. But, uh, that's our AL Central recap. Again, we had the same predictions. White Sox in first, Twins in second, Indians in third, Royals in fourth, and the Tigers taking the five spot. All right, now let's move on a little bit here. Let's talk about some fantasy baseball. If you guys didn't know, Ryan and I are in the same fantasy baseball league. We had our draft last week. Ryan, I'll give you the floor. You're the commish. You're Commissioner Madeira. So why don't you let the fans know what the expectations are for this 2021 fantasy league season? Well, you guys are privileged to have the commissioner and founder of the Madeira's (laughs) Fantasy League 
on this call today, but let's run through this through this uh, through our league members here. I think we got some interesting people that I want to give a shout out. Uh, some of our most avid listeners of Matanzas. So let's start off in the Madeiras division now, where you have me. Obviously, I am the manager of the heavy hitters. Uh, two-time champion, unfortunately, last year, even though I went undefeated in the regular season, I lost in the championship uh, game to the Pops Padres, which is my father's team. Richard Medeiros, manager of the Pops Padres, last year's champion, the reigning champion. And the Medeiros Division third team, we have the Tennessee Timbers, my uncle, Joe Medeiros. So he's looking to have a big season this year. He's been, you know, at the bottom of the barrel the past few years. So he's looking to take a step forward. Over to the friend division now, these are three team divisions. We had the Seattle Sabres, Max Tanzer, last year finished in fifth place, unfortunately yeah. for you. But uh, kind of lost his way mid-season, but we'll give you him a shout-out. He was an expansion team in the addition to the four original teams. The second expansion team was Yajits, Ryan Hanowich, a good friend of mine from high school. He goes to Providence College, and his roommate, Jordan McBride, Kershaw Shank Redemption, you know, is also a very competitive team in the past, has finished in the top three last year and has been my competitor in the championship game over the previous two seasons. So that's your rundown of the division. Max and I will be honing in on our fantasy teams to give you guys updates. I think this is something you guys might enjoy. We'll give some uh, league recaps, some interesting stuff week by week. But Max, let's dive into the draft now. We had a draft a couple weeks ago, actually, and I uh, made some moves at the winter meetings that we had back in January, and I picked up a ton of draft picks, so I got a bunch of picks early, but let's let you give uh, some thoughts on how your draft went, maybe some guys that you thought were interesting, and maybe you know talk about your keepers a little bit. Who is your top guys on your team thus far? Yeah, for my keepers, I was very fortunate to pick up Fernando Tatis when I was expanded into the league, and I was granted expansion. Uh, and obviously, he put up the numbers he did last year, so that was my number one keeper. But also, Wilson Contreras, I was very happy to lock down a very solid, dependable catcher. Jose Abreu, the American League MVP. Jose Ramirez, who I acquired in a trade. Um, then you go to Aaron Judge, who I acquired in a trade from you. Um, so those that's, those are my offensive keepers, who I was very proud of. Alex Bregman as well, who I... We don't need to talk about the trade. I feel a little bad, but I, I definitely won that yeah, one. To yeah, say the Jeets kind of. Yeah, Jeets. We'll, we're not going to give him, you know, too much slack here. Yeah, Jeets forgot, you know, Alex Bregman's age and his previous track record. So he kind of got fleeced in the <laughs> trade that the commissioner had to step in and, you know, make Max add a little bit more to that one. But huge acquisition I, for you. So I was easy to work with. You know, I, I think I made the trade. You know, I could have been from the approach of I get to keep Brandon Woodruff, but I decided to give Yajit's Brandon Woodruff. My rotation. My rotation was definitely weak last year. I decided to keep only two guys, Walker Buehler, and then, of course, Marco Gonzalez, my favorite Mariner in the moment. And Marco's very solid as well. Won't pick up big strikeout numbers for you, and obviously that is a priority in fantasy, but always going to you know, guy, you could expect him to give you 28 to 30 starts per year. Um, we'll get deep into ball games as well. Limits the walks too, which is always very important as well. So those are my keepers. Along, oh yeah, I kept Corbin Burns too. I forgot about Corbin Burns. I like Corbin Burns a lot with the adjustments he made last year with the cutter and so forth. Made huge strides in 2020. It really was between him and Brandon Woodruff, which could be a mistake because obviously Woodruff has a better track record. Uh, but we'll see. I'm taking the bet on Burns this year, and I hope it pans out for me. That's my top three. I know it's not as much in comparison to your starting rotation. But then I was able to get some guys in the draft who I was pretty happy with. And Carlos Carrasco, talk about the injury. That's going to be a difficult start to the year. Um, and then being able to snag Zach Wheeler as well. Jose Barrios, who, again, I think is always a very solid piece. I think people have expected him to 
have a status the last few years, and I think he's been somewhat close to that. I don't think he's definitely taken that crown completely. We talked about Maeda really adopting that role for the Twins, but I still think he'll be very, very good as well. Uh, Ian Anderson as well. I was very happy to get Zach Plesek too. So I think my rotation's okay. It's a lot of young guys. It's a lot of hopefully they work out well type moves, but if they do, great. If not, I'll be searching the waiver wire for some other sleeper options. Yeah, no, I think your offense is really what's going to carry your team this year. You have you know, three of the best left side of the infield guys in all of baseball and Bregman, Tatis, and Ramirez. So two of which you acquired this offseason at the winter meeting. So I give you a lot of credit for making those moves. Again, the rotation, you're banking on some guys that, you know, you're hoping take a step forward or just continue their consistency and like a guy like Marco. But I think, you know, carrying the offense is going to be the thing that carries you this season. Now, if the viewers can't tell or the listeners can't tell, I'm a huge fantasy baseball guy. Like, I <laughs> breathe, live and die. You know, this game, I take a lot of time and focus and pride it's your in my life, fantasy you know? baseball performance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, let me run through my keepers now. I have a little bit of unfair advantage to Max. I was in the league for two years before he hopped in. So, um, my keepers were <laughs> as follows. JT Real Muto, I kept to the catcher position. This was kind of a fringe one for me because I felt like I could get some value from that position in the draft, which I ended up getting later in Will Smith when I drafted him. But uh, Real Muto is my starting catcher. And then I kept Nolan Arenado and Lindor on the left side of the infield. So that was my third base and shortstop picks. Both down years last year, but I'm figuring that they're going to bounce back based on their track record. So I'm excited about those guys. In center field and right field, I have Trout and Acuna Jr. So... Kind of obvious good. keeper picks there. Two of the best in the league, so <laughs> happy about that. In the draft, I got Corey Seager for the utility spot, so another MVP caliber player that I can't complain about there. And a couple other guys I hopped in to round out the lineup. Rizzo, Altuve, and Tucker I took with some of my first draft picks, picks that I traded for, so I was happy with those guys. But continuing to the rotation, I kept five starters now. So Max alluded to this earlier. Uh, his rotation kind of pales in comparison to mine, but in fairness, I've had some time to lock in my guys and, you know, kind of foster a starting rotation. So Jacob deGrom, number one, kind of bona fide pick there. Giolito, number two. Uh, Castillo is my number three pick. Luis Castillo, Jack Flaherty, four. And then I got Aaron Nola in a trade in the winter meeting. So he's my fifth starter. So pretty solid rotation there, if I do say so myself. And I got Kyle Hendricks and Dylan Bunny to add on in the draft. So I think I got some good starting pitching depth. No doubt about that, and I think that's going to be your strong suit going this season. I think you're very well balanced, too. One of my biggest weaknesses, if not my largest weakness, is my lack of relievers, and we talk about it all the time, very fickle relievers are, but I've made the mistake two years in a row now of not prioritizing closers, so saves definitely will not be my category this year. Thank goodness we're not a category league, and it's just based off of points, but uh, I, I was scrambling towards the end. A lot of holds for me this year is going to be the goal. Yeah, and so for those of you guys who don't know, we kind of have our league structured so all the rosters are set up like a major league roster. So we have five starting rotation spots that you can alter throughout the week. You can alter your lineups daily, but seven bullpen spots. So you really have to lock that down. My bullpen, Max, just for fun here, we'll go through our first four bullpen guys. I have Kenley Jansen, Raziel Iglesias, Brad Hand, and Nick Anderson matching up against who you got, Max? (laughs) Uh, it depends on who you probably, okay, Will Smith, Freddie Peralta, Trevor May, Blake Trine, and are probably my four best name-wise. Adam yeah, Adovino, no I'm No disrespect hoping... to those guys. Yeah, no disrespect to those guys, but, you know, I just kind of wanted to 
emphasize when Max said that he forgot to prioritize bullpen guys, or maybe didn't forget, just kind of, you know. I assumed I, there would I, be I more left. That's what it. happened. Yeah. I was seeing all these starting pitchers and obviously position players. I was like, wow, these guys are available. I'll take them. I could always wait on relievers. And meanwhile, I was being naive and was not looking at what other play or other people were taking other teams were taking and all of a sudden I look and the best closer available available was Anthony Bass and I even waited too long for him so it left me with little little to work with yeah no and uh you know I think it was a good draft overall everyone's teams are pretty competitive I've been looking through the rosters and I think it'll be a fun fun season but I hope you guys enjoy some of these fantasy things give us some feedback you know text Max or I if you got our numbers or you know, tweet us on Twitter or comment on Instagram or DM us or something. Let us know if you want to hear more fantasy stuff. So right now we're intending on doing these weekly and giving you guys some updates because we enjoy talking fantasy baseball. We don't get always a chance to have a fantasy discussion. So I think it'll be something fun and something that I know I really enjoy. So hopefully something we can continue going forward. No doubt about that. It's definitely going to be a fun year. All right, let's move on to the National League Central. That'll be a fun division this year. It's going to be very interesting. Not the most competitive division in baseball, but in a way that makes it competitive because all the teams are very close together. I'll let you go first again. Who, what, or what is your prediction for the National League Central standings? This one was really interesting, like you said, and something that I'm not totally confident in my picks. I don't know if anyone can be really confident because there's four teams that you could really choose to win this division. But let me start off by saying the Pirates are the worst team in baseball. That's fifth place. No need to add on. (laughs) Yeah, no offense to any Pirates fans or any Pirates players or whoever ends up hearing this out there in the universe. But Pirates fifth place, no doubt about it. Bona fide worst team in baseball, in my opinion. Reds in fourth place. I just don't think they have anyone who really stands out. I think they have solid pieces like the Royals, but nobody that really stands out. Cubs in third place, Brewers in second place, Cardinals in first place. I all have them about a game apart from each other. I think they're really that close. And like you said, just because none of them stand out. No doubt. I'm glad we have a difference here. I have Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers as my top three, but I do have some notes on the Brewers. I think they're very underlooked, and if there's the definition of a sleeper team coming into 2021, it is those Milwaukee Brewers. I was looking at their bullpen, and you had told me before that you think their bullpen's underlooked, but I was thinking, oh, we must be thinking about just Williams and Hayter, but both Peralta and Suter are two other guys who I think are very solid. Suter lights up the expected ERA numbers. Um, then don't, the Ro- don't forget Yardley. Don't forget Yardley yes. in addition to that, not to interrupt, but he's really solid as well, but continue. Yes, and then the rotation, I think obviously the top two in Woodruff and Burns you got to be very confident with. Lindblom had an expected ERA of 4-1 last year compared to his normal ERA, which was above 5, so there's suggestions that maybe he could take a step forward. Hauser, we talked about this earlier in the earlier in the offseason, how they improved the infield defense behind them, of course, adding Colton Wong, moving um, Keston here over to first base. He induces a lot of ground balls that should help him, not even to mention that they add Jackie Bradley Jr. to run down some fly balls in center. Uh, and then Anderson. Brett Anderson's always been very dependable, especially the last couple seasons. So there are some question marks. I think it's young. I think it's there's a little bit of a gray area with that rotation and how you project it, but I think it can be really good and then you add that bullpen as well which is really good in the back end that's a really good pitching staff right there and I think you know the Cardinals their biggest success or, or their biggest uh, plus is their rotation and their pitching depth I think and I think the Brewers I don't know if they're better but they definitely are right up there with the Cardinals and I think that's what will make that matchup very interesting similar with the Cubs too the Cubs have maybe not 
starting pitchers who are going to light up the radar gun, but guys who induce a lot of soft contact, a lot of ground balls. You have Horner and Baez up the middle, Rizzo, a former Gold Glover. That's an interesting uh, storyline going into 2021 as well. So these rotations of those three are really interesting. Not even to mention you got Castillo and Gray over in Cincinnati. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit there I'm with so the Brewers. Sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all good. No, no, no worries. I think you summed it up perfectly right there. Woodruff and Burns could be one of the best one-two punches or most promising one-two punches in the league. Uh, Hauser, like you said, I think has some good potential. Lindblom is a solid arm. Anderson is a solid arm. And Suter can come in into the rotation as well. He's a good swing man. The guy is very valuable. I think Freddie Peralta is a guy who's super underlooked. You've picked him in the fantasy baseball yes. draft, which I thought was a really solid pick because he strikes out a ton of guys, can give you some multi-inning appearances. Yeah, I mean, just like Josh Hader can give you multi-inning appearances. Devin Williams can give you multi-inning appearances. Great strikeout stuff. Brent Suter, more of a pitch-to-contact approach. I think they've got a great mix of arms. And the Brewers and Craig Council always find a way to put together fantastic pitching staff. So like you said, that is their strong suit. The one thing that I think you know separates them from the Cardinals, and the Cardinals don't have a strong lineup either, but the Brewers, I feel like, in my opinion, have a really weak lineup. Their catching position, Omar Norvaez put together some decent offensive seasons. Keston Hira, Daniel Vogelbach, a lot of guys with question marks, either at down 2020 seasons or at down 2019 seasons or both. Colton Wong, I think, was a great addition. Jackie Bradley, I think, a great addition. But those are more defensive-minded yeah. guys. I think Christian Yelich is a huge X factor here. I think he could step back in a big way, and I think, um, or step forward in a big way, say, yeah. and take and kind of return back to his original form was kind of what I was trying to get at there. MVP caliber player when he's healthy and performing well. Uh, Christian Yelich, I think, is a huge thing, but he can't carry the offense because if he starts getting hot, then they're going to start pitching around him because who are you going to pitch to besides Yelich? I'd rather pitch to Avisael Garcia. I'd rather pitch to Vogelbach. I'd rather pitch to Hira, who strikes out a ton, even though he has some good power. I just don't think their lineup stacks up, whereas the Cardinals have a couple really decent all-star type players in Goldschmidt, Arenado. And their lineup is weak as well, but maybe Carlson takes a step forward. They have some young, nice outfielders, including um, Tyler O'Neill, who's yeah. been raking this spring, performing very well. Uh, you know, Harrison Bader, I think it could take a step forward. The Brewers have some promising guys. I think everyone's been waiting for Luis Urias to take a step forward. He's going to be playing either third base or shortstop, potentially both. But I think the Cardinals' offense has a little bit more promise and pop than the Brewers, which separates them, in my opinion. No doubt, and I think if you're the Cardinals right now, obviously adding Arenado, we've talked about it plenty, is monumental because it does give Goldschmidt some protection or Arenado some protection if you have Goldschmidt behind him, depending on how they line that up. But I think Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are both guys uh, who I think will be incredibly important for the Cardinals if they're going to succeed this year. Tyler O'Neill, funny enough, obviously him coming up the Mariners organization, was traded over to St. Louis in the Marco Gonzalez trade. I'm very happy with that trade, but Tyler O'Neill was coming up with his plus tool being the power in his bat, and then what do you know, it's been a little bit slow offensively to start it up in his big league career, but the defense is what has shined, winning a gold glove in left field last year. Those guys alone, I think, are really important. Tommy Edmond, obviously, he's not a big prolific power hitter but again a guy who can get on base a lot for you puts the ball in play a lot and so forth but you're right I think the lineups are thin and that's what's interesting about the Cubs because the Cubs are the most well-rounded team I'd say out of all these while the Brewers and Cardinals are pluses and really pitching a defense 
Yeah, I, we were kind of thinking on the same train of thought there, and I was going to say it's almost the polar opposite, I think, with the Cubs. The Cubs have a weak pitching staff, in my opinion. Kyle Hendricks is your bona fide ace, and he's a very good pitcher, but I think he kind of was better for the Cubs when they had Darvish as the one. He was the two, because that gives you a better depth in the rotation. I and think Davies is shaky. Pitchers, yeah, yeah we, we talked about Davies being shaky. He's a similar pitcher to Hendricks. I think now that you mentioned that, I'm just thinking in my head, this could be a struggle for Davies pitching after Hendricks because yeah. they kind of are similar pitch to contact. Some lines might They're get all the comfortable <laughs> after facing Hendricks. Yeah, Mills is also pitch to contact. Arietta, I've already talked about Question him. I don't think he's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Alzale, I think, could take a step forward. He could be promising. The bullpen is very shaky. I mean, what does Craig Kimbrell do? I was talking with a good friend of yours is Matt, who I know is a big Cubs fan, but uh, he was talking about how he thinks Kimbrel really has, he made a very good point, and I'm only saying his name so I can give a little bit of credit here. I think that he is um, hasn't had an actual great offseason heading into spring training, if that makes sense. Like, he hasn't had his normal spring training yeah. into the season experience because, you know, he waited out for that contract, which, you know, no one to blame but himself on that one. Obviously, he was, you know, has all the right... Uh, he, you know, he has the right to wait out a contract, but he came into the season, clearly wasn't at his sharpest that season. That would have been 2019, if I'm yes. not mistaken, mm-hmm. when he signed with the Cubs. And then last year with the COVID experience, he kind of had a different setup coming into the season where he kind of had to do that whole inner squad type thing coming back. And it was a little bit rushed coming into the season. So Kimbrell strikes me as a guy who is very finicky in terms of his preparation and needs to kind of have everything laid out coming into the season. And he's going to get that. He has the normal spring training this year, so he should be fine coming into the season. I think he could take a step forward. But again, major question mark there for the Cubs. They need him to be a good pitcher, especially when the rotation isn't fantastic. So they should have some close ball games potentially with their offense and weak, you know, good offense, weak rotation. Uh, so I think the bullpen's going to be a key factor, and I don't think the Cubs have any bona fide, really solid arms in their bullpen, so that's going to be concerning. I think the lineup, like we mentioned, we talk about the lineup like it's going to be very good, but the lineup was bad last year. I mean, it was yeah. kind of a flip-flop situation. The rotation was very good. The lineup was poor. But they have those star players that I really feel like are going to bounce back. Contreras is going to be the solid catcher that he's been for his entire career. Rizzo will take a step you know, back to where he was. Bryant will take a step back to where he, you know, forward to where he was, rather. Um, Baez is going to be back to where he was as a solid player. I think Baez might be the most concerning out of all of them, potentially, because he had so much swing and miss, and his swing is kind of, you know, a little bit fickle in terms of lining everything up because he swings so violently. It's big. It's you're long. Talking about, yeah. yeah, you're talking about Jock Peterson, I think, is an upgrade from Kyle Schwarber, quite Definitely. honestly, yeah. better defensively. Uh, offensively, I think it's close, but, you know, the better defense, I think Peterson's an upgrade. But the lineup, I think, with everything ticking, is going to be a very good lineup for the Cubs and potentially I think will keep them close with the Cardinals and Brewers, but I still have them in third place because their pitching just doesn't stack up, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think they're, I, I've said this about a million times this offseason, but again, just victim of a 60-game season. We saw similar cases with the Astros, similar cases with the Twins as well, teams that historically, just the year prior, had been so good and struggled mightily. I mean, looking at their bullpen, you, you're 100% on it. Kimbrell, question mark. Ryan Tapera, MVP finalist ahead now. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's not too much to be too confident in right here. And I really don't see anyone that jumps out to me as a premier, dependable guy. Brandon Workman, obviously, in the past for the Red Sox has been solid, but last year was a mess, obviously, with the Phillies as well. So, 
there is a lot of questions right there. I don't think the rotation will be too terrible. Obviously, I don't think Arietta is that much different from Leicester in any case, and I don't think that really boosts anything for them. You got to hope maybe the reunion with David Ross and being back in a comfortable uh, situation might help him a little bit, but I don't think there's too much hope there. Azale would be interesting to see if obviously that's been someone who's been in the pen the last couple years. And then I hate myself for blanking on it, but they have a top starting rotation prospect as well that I'm blanking on that could be potentially play a role for them in, mid, in the middle of the season. But yeah, no, interesting stuff right there. I think it's definitely going to be a tight year, and a lot of people are sleeping on that division because it's so weak, but it in many ways could be the most entertaining division because those three teams are so close together. Uh, just to help you out here, I'm looking at the top prospects. Was it Braylon Marquez? Braylon Marquez, that's of? who it was. Yes, yes, that is exactly who it was. And so we'll see if he could play a role. I believe he came up for an inning or two last year uh, as well. Alrighty, let's move on here. Last segment of the day. It's been a long episode today. After 12 minutes, I'm getting a little gassed here. Standout <laughs> spring perform. I know, gassed like wiffle ball today. I was running the bases, and I just couldn't even catch my breath we'll get there we're getting in shape this is spring training for us as well standout performances of the spring ryan who from the red sox has stood out for you so far oh you know the guy i'm going with and it's garrett whitlock a rule five pick from the new york yankees so nice to steal one from them he was the fourth overall pick in the rule five draft a guy who had tommy john surgery last year had been very solid in the minors for the yankees prior to his Tommy John surgery. Let, let's look through his minor league stats. In 2019, uh, he pitched half the se- half the minor league season, 14 games started, he had a 307 ERA. Prior in 2018, he split a couple minor league levels between you know A ball and double A, and he was very, very, very solid in 2018, to put it, you know, to, to, to kind of underlie, understate, really. 186 ERA, in 21 games started, 23 total games, 120 innings, he struck out 122. So very, very good numbers there. I can't say that enough. And he came back from Tommy John surgery. You never know how a guy is going to react to Tommy John, obviously. But he's come back and looked fantastic in spring training. Let's go through the spring training numbers. Four games thus far, he has a one ERA in nine innings, and he struck out 12. For a guy who's not known for his big strikeout numbers, he's showed some great swing and miss stuff. He struck out the first five of the six bat, or struck out five of the first six batters he faced in his last outing, ramping it up three scoreless innings, earned the win out of relief. I think he's going to be a huge guy for a team in the Red Sox that really lacked any solid pitching last year, to put it kindly. Uh, they really could use. Uh, Whitlock is a swing man on the bullpen. He could start some games for them. He's really going to be their number seven starter on their team. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of teams who have seven guys who can start and be good quality starters. And I really feel like Whitlock could be a quality starter, but he's going to be coming out of the pen. Andres is the second guy who will probably be their sixth starter. He'll probably be the first guy if they need a spot starter to come out. So I think Whitlock for depth is going to be huge. And I think he could be an impact arm too. Look at the .89 whip this spring in those nine innings pitched. He's been very, very good, and I think for a guy just coming off of surgery and coming back and pitching this strong, great fastball velocity this far, 95, I think he's hit a couple times, 96 maybe even, with a fantastic changeup. You can't say enough about how he's performed this spring, and is basically a lock to make the ball club at this point, 24 years old. Take Ottavino from the Yankees, and then you add him as well. That would be pretty cool if both of those guys could be uh, very valuable for you going into 2021. My, I, have, I have two here. Because they're both really interesting to me for the Mariners. The first one's going to be Taylor Trammell, who's had a really spectacular spring. I think coming in, there were three guys that the Mariners were looking at for that left field spot. 
Kelnick, if they weren't going to manipulate the service time. Jake Fraley, who has been roadblocked the last five years. I feel terrible for him. He's had a really, really tough spring, which is going to make it hard for him to make the club. And Marmalejos, who was in the club yet last year, can place in first base as well, which makes him valuable. He's out of options, so that does give him a little bit of boost, especially above Fraley, who's struggling mightily. But Trebell has been really, really good and has flashed some pop. They had him in the instructional league in Peoria this winter, struggled a lot. I think it's been a tough career for him because he's a top prospect, number 100 overall in baseball, but really has gotten his high as 16 going into 2019 he's been traded everywhere from the reds to the padres and now the mariners hopefully he can find a home here you know it's rough for him because there's about five or six other very solid prospects that play outfield in the Mariners organization but he's hitting 310 this spring slugging 586 which is the big number for me seeing that he has some pop hit an impressive shot against the Cubs about two weeks ago deep out to straightaway center field with a little bit towards left center um, so really good numbers for him Five doubles this spring with a home run. I expect him to start an opening day. I would love to see it. I want to see him get an opportunity, too. And you talked about this yesterday when we were having dinner, but it was a very good point. It gives him an opportunity to prove himself before Kelnick comes up because Kelnick is probably a lock once he comes up, assuming that everything works out well. So it does give Tremel an opportunity to play every day because let's be realistic right here. You have Hanniger, Tremel. Lewis, Julio Rodriguez coming up at one point, Jared Kelnick, Jake Fraley, uh, Zach Deloach, and so forth. The list goes on. Another guy, I'll go quick. I'll go quick. I know I'm talking your ear off, but when it gets to the Mariners, I get excited. <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa, real, real quick, Max. I didn't know we were going to do two players here. I talked to you before the show. I thought we were doing one. So I'm going to jump in and cut you off real quick. I'm going to throw in a second Red Sox. Okay, game, right? okay. I I'm like it. Throw in. Let me talk about my favorite acquisition of the winter for the Red Sox, Kike Hernandez. As soon as he signed, I talked about how much I loved it. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I wasn't quite sold. But he's performed very, very well this spring. I'll just run through his slash line real quick. 296, averaging fantastic, but 472 on base. He's taken those walks, earned himself the leadoff role, it seems like, for the Red Sox. So that's huge for them, lengthens out the lineup. 519 slugging, good enough for a 991 OPS. And the Red Sox, best offensive team in spring training this year. Hopefully it translates into the regular season, but Hernandez is going to be a big part of that. I'll let you get to your second guy. No now. doubt about that. Hey, I like it. More, more talk, more talk. That's what we need. All right, the Mariners here. Nick Margavichis, a very interesting spring for him, and it seemed presumably that he was going to be pushed out of a starting rotation spot, and unfortunately, very well might be. Justin Dunn was a huge question mark coming into this spring, had a tough conversation reportedly with Jerry Depoto on the baseball operations staff, but has looked fantastic, lost some poundage, is in really good shape, but he's been interesting this spring, was really good in his last start a couple days ago, as Ty France just hits a two-run home run, his spring training continues, oh my goodness, this is awesome, I'm sorry, I just got the alert on my phone, but... <laughs> My point here is with Dunn is he's very good, very solid, at least this spring, through one or two times through the order. Then he get it through another time, and he starts to struggle. And that'll be a test for him going into 2020. But Nick Margavichis, who's really been paired up with him, has been following him, has been tremendous this spring. Three games, one start, a two ERA in nine innings, has struck out 10 batters in that span. A guy who I think has potential to be a very solid 4-5 starter on a good team. He was called up a little bit prematurely in 19 with the Padres, and that's supported by the 6-7-9 ERA in 19. But in 20, it was very good, 4-5-7 ERA in 41 innings. I think he could take a step forward here. He'll very likely end up being in the bullpen as sort of a flex guy, long relief guy. Uh, maybe put him in against some left-handers as well, maybe an emergency starter too. But he's something, someone to definitely keep an eye on as we enter 2021. Ty France too. I, I didn't say it because he was so good, but two run home run. We'll I thought that's who, I thought that's where you were going with. I remember before the show you said France might be your guy. You mentioned him among the guys you were talking about, but 
you know, you ended up going with him and France says, Hey man, <laughs> you should have picked me. I hit the I two run home runs. So he's uh, been, on we fire. have one more. Yeah. We have one more guy that we want to talk about. We talked about Mariners. We talked about Red Sox. Let's talk about one guy that's going to be huge for baseball, his performance this spring. And a guy who had a 1,200 OPS, wait, 1,200 slugging? That's Shohei Utani thus far this spring. 1,809 OPS. Astronomical numbers. 600 batting average, 609 on base. 1,200 slugging, 1,809 OPS. I'll just run through those numbers again just so you guys hear that clearly. Unbelievable numbers by Otani, and for a guy that obviously the pitching side is going to be huge for him. He's got four home runs thus far this spring at the plate, so it's great to see that out of him. And this is a guy who batted 125 in both 18 and 20 at the plate in spring trading, so it's great to see him getting off to a hot start. And it's going to be huge for baseball if he can perform well on both sides of the plate. Don't sleep on him on the mound either. He has a 13-5 ERA thus far this spring, but the key number is nine strikeouts yes. and four innings, so he's flashed some swing and miss stuff. If he can get back to his performance of, I mean, this is a guy, really, let's look at it. This is a guy who can pitch and be a dominant starting pitcher on the mound and a dominant hitter at the plate. We've never seen anything like this before in Babe Ruth, maybe, you know, <laughs> like I, I know all the comparisons get kind of old and, and you kind of let it fly over your head when people compare him to Babe Ruth. But that comparison is warranted. This guy is truly talented and it's great to see him out there on the mound at the very least this spring and performing so well at the plate. You're sleeping on Matt Davidson, man. He, he's been trying to be a two-way player for a while now. <laughs> or Michael Lorenz, I'm kidding. No, you're right. Shoyo Otani, it would be fantastic for the game if he could pull this off. Not only that, but he's on Angel's team that has Mike Trout, an Angel's team that potentially could push for a postseason spot going into 2021 here, which I think would be so good for baseball. It's a smaller market compared to L.A., but Anaheim is close to L.A. It's still a big market. You have the best player in the game. An Angels rotation that we've already talked about that we think is a little bit underlooked going into this year. If they could get a good Otani, that would be the cherry on top. And I, I think, you know, the 13-5 ERA is discouraging, but you're right. It shows that his stuff is there. He's striking out batters, and that's really important for a guy who's had plenty of elbow issues in the past right now. And I think they got to be careful with him. Obviously, they'll go with the six-man rotation if he does break the season as a starting pitcher here. But I'd say give it one more shot. I think we did talk about this about a month or two ago here. But he's so valuable offensively, and he's put that on full display this spring. And they're not just cheapos. They're impressive shots to straightaway center. I think he hit one the other way as well, which is really good to see in spring training for any hitter. So I think... I think this could be the year for Otani. I think a lot of people will say that, you know, oh, oh yeah, you say that every year. You know, I, I, might, I, might, I might even say the same thing with Aaron Judge because I do think judges do. But my gut says that. And I have nothing to prove it. And I'm being a hypocrite because I hate when people say that. I hate when people make gut decisions and gut opinions. But I do think that Shoya Otani is due, and I think he could put it together and really help this Angels team at least be competitive in the American League West. Yeah, and I know one team that's going to be excited if, they, if Otani's playing well. It's not the Angels. It's the Pops Padres who snagged him <laughs> late in the fantasy baseball Does he get draft, both but, sides, pitching and hitting? Yeah, pitching and hitting could be a valuable guy. He was calling us out after he picked him, saying you shouldn't have slept on him. But, you know, that's a nice way for us to wrap up the day, honestly. We circled back around. We talked some spring training. We talked some news. We talked some division predictions. We talked some fantasy baseball. We covered all the bases for you guys today. We talked a little wiffle ball, too. Gave you a little recap. So we hope you guys enjoyed the show. We had a fun time, a great time coming back. Finally, we missed last week for the first time in the wild. So we gave you guys a longer show this week. And we're getting so far 
fired up for baseball. We hope you guys enjoy. We, we hope you catch some games this week. Get outside, experience some of the nice spring weather. And, uh, you know, thanks for tuning into the show and have a fantastic week, everybody. Thanks for joining.